0: Listening to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast, affectionately known as The Mog, an open forum and promotional outlet for budding artists and creatives from all across the Mid Atlantic region. I'm your host, Brad Cox, not necessarily affectionately known as anything other than Brad Cox, but I'm here all the same. Let's see who and what we're chewing on today on The Mog. Friends, East coastians and countrymen and women of all ages, welcome to the Mog. As always, links for our guests will be made available in the description, and a song or some type of promotional feature will be tacked on to the end of each episode. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors: Vagabond Sandwich Company, Capricost Books, Musicland, Black Eyed Susie's, Double Groove Brewing, Baltimore Decal Gal, and Reb Records. Remember to love local, support local, and to eat and drink local. Don't forget to use discount code Mog pod for a 10% discount at Capricost Books. Everyone knows you can't stop by Main Street Bel Air without grabbing one of Black Eyed Susie's legendary orange crushes and a killer lunch or dinner. Black Eyed Susie's has been supporting Local for a long time. It's your one-stop spot for original and cover entertainment and an afternoon or evening out with friends on their rooftop deck. If you haven't heard, there's something very special about Double Groove Brewing. It's a melting pot of personalities, ages, loves, interests and musical tastes. There are hippies, professionals, rockers, folk artists, friends and families here. Throw in the most delicious and satisfying craft beer on the planet and this place is complete magic. They are tireless supporters of the local talent. Stop by their location in Forest Hill for a pint and a night out with friends just announced the lords of 52nd street the ultimate billy joel band is coming to the amos center on february 12th at 7 p.m for tickets just go to tickets.harford.edu also coming to the amos center the Hip play ballerinas are on their way with their unique fusion of hip-hop and ballet on january 29th at 7 p.m again it's tickets.harford.edu and Winter Wonderland is coming to the downtown Bel Air area on November 27th. horse Strong Carriage Rides will be available each Saturday, November 27th through December 18th. Enjoy shopping in the downtown area or grab dinner with your family while you wait. For information, visit belairartsandentertainment.org. Also just announced, the Red Hot Chili Pipers are coming to the APG FCU Arena on March 8th at 7.30pm. The band's achievements have reached incredible heights with their groundbreaking fusion of traditional Scottish music and rock pop anthems, which they proudly call Bag Rock. Tickets are available at APGFCUArena.com. Today on the show, I'm sitting down with Charm City Ghostbuster, novelist, and event planner of the annual Fright Reads Book Festival, Mr. Harry Carpenter. A lot of books have earned Harry's name, and he's just getting started. I recently attended the Fright Reads Book Festival in Severna Park, and I can tell you, you won't want to miss this event next year. Harry's books are often a direct line with something in his personal life, which makes them all the more interesting and personal. Join me in welcoming the Harry Carpenter to The Mob. Harry, welcome to the mouthful of graffiti podcast. How you doing, buddy?
1: Doing pretty good. That horse noise really threw me off. It gets it gets everybody.
0: <laughs> so you rode in on a horse, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry noticed, like, oh yeah, I parked it out back. So anyway, we basically met at the drinking with authors event that we were doing during COVID. I mean, we may have met prior in some way, but that was in like- passing. Yeah. But that was like what solidified it. I, I remember doing the, the, I guess, one of the first ones, and I got very intoxicated, <laughs> and you happened to be there in the chat room, and Liz is like, well, you want to invite him in? I was like, sure. And we went on for like
1: two hours. And I was the previous episode, the the week or what have you before. And that's how I even came up. It's like, well, I had Harry uh just last week, and he was and you're like, hey, let's bring him in. Yeah. And then I was watching your guy. And I oh, I I I logged in as what triggered it to begin with. Because I logged in to watch and gave like the uh, the obligatory thumbs up or something to be like, hey, I'm I'm supporting you. Right. And you guys little hearts like, start going up and then it just started to go like, bring him in. Let's come on. Get in. I was like, all right. And I fired up the laptop and that was history.
0: Yeah, well, it was history. <laughs> I woke up in a bathtub. I don't know what happened <laughs> for whatever reason. Like I just started drinking and like you just lose track of time. It was only two hours, but I had a couple of those tall boys. Well, we were two hours.
1: Your show was Was three and a half. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was a long show. You
1: were already going strong with Liz for an hour and some change before you even brought me into the fold. I don't think that she wanted to post
0: it because it was so long. And I kept playing music in the background. and She didn't know if there was going to be copyright issues or that, you know. But I was like, no, it's my music. You can definitely put it up. So anyway, that was a great episode. (laughs) But this is going to be a great episode because you like to talk. Sure. But we recently just saw each other again at StellarCon. Yep, yep, yep. And obviously, the Fright Reads Book Festival—we're going to talk quite a bit about. But what were you doing at StellarCon, and how did that kind of whole thing come about?
1: So, as you know, uh, the wonderful uh, man Kevin Hawk. Yes, Transcendent Events. Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, the the front runner of the Transcendent Events. He he's a purveyor of small time acts for music. He loves uh, he loves local business. This is kind of his thing. But he's also a nerd. So doing the nerd events, I linked up with Kevin. And I, I don't think there's been a nerd event, aside from the Bel Air ones, I, I don't think I've missed any of the city ones. But just being so embedded and ingrained into that nature, Yeah. Um. when he decided to do this, like a comic con idea, not just a bunch of nerds sitting around, like dressed as Superman and Batman getting drunk at a power plant live or something. This is now the formal convention idea, people sitting at tables and selling stuff and celebrities and cosplay contests, the whole yeah. shebang. He hit me up immediately and said, do you want in on the ground floor? And I was like, yeah, yes, I will absolutely come play. And that was his first one that he did in the summer.
0: So the first one, though, you showed up as a Charm City Ghostbuster, but no. this,
1: you, you did the book no, I, as well. I suckered those guys in. Okay. But... I showed up. I try to be there in spirit, so I wear something. Ghostbuster. No pun intended again.
0: Hey-oh. <laughs> you got a ghost ghost trap over there.
1: So yeah, I usually when it comes to those kind of events, if I do a transcendent event, in yeah. most cases, whether it's uh, you know Nerd Pocalypse or what have you, right. and the Charm City Ghostbusters are there, I'm doing literally anything else but being a Ghostbuster. Wearing that stuff is super heavy. It's super cumbersome, and if you've ever seen me at one of the nerd events, I move around a lot.
0: Yeah, because I asked you to wear it today. No, and I don't blame you for not wearing it after you told me how heavy it was. But it's
1: so the proton pack. Most of our team built our own, okay. so they range in 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 pack weight. But to wear that that big guy, it's unwieldy. Mine <laughs> clocked in at thirty nine, forty some odd pounds. Yeah, it's hard to say because we don't know. We're just kind of like standing on the scale and wearing it and hoping for the best. So it's a little off balance. So we don't know if the scale has got it a hundred percent or not. But it's you know. It's like a small child on your back. Yeah. And it's just something that uh you don't want to bring around. So I did agree to bring the little guys, but yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty much how even the Ghostbusters got in, is because we've just become so embedded with all things transcendent events, yeah, that we just kind of got shoehorned in as like an attraction, including myself with writing like horror and science fiction.
0: Yeah. I work for the Downtown Alliance, and if I'm not mistaken, you brought the Ghostbusters vehicle to one of the first Fridays to promote the event. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah. I didn't bring it personally, but vicariously through my, uh, my connections, Steve is actually our, uh, Ecto, one of our Ecto owners. So if you saw the one with the red top from the, uh, 2016 movie, that would be Steve. It was slinging beer. I just knew that there was a Ghostbusters vehicle there. Yeah. If it's the, if it's the red top that that's from the last iteration movie, but it's an Ecto nonetheless, it's still awesome to see on the street and people still go gaga over it, whatever it is. I mean, I've seen pickup trucks with the Ecto logo on the side and people go nuts over it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter matter at least ours is actually a screen used looking design i wasn't going to bring up the charm city ghostbusters just yet but we can we are yeah how
0: many people are there that are part of like this big network of charm city ghostbusters and how does one become a charm city ghostbuster How does one stop becoming a Charm City Ghostbuster? Well, right, but, like, if I wanted to do it...
1: (laughs) How do we get off this ride? Like, how do I become, Um, like,
0: you know, Bradgon
1: or... (laughs) (laughs) Bradgon. It's going to be my Uh, new name. Bradmore. Yeah. Yeah, so when we started it, it might have been six of us deep, six to eight. Were you at the ground floor? I was at the ground floor. Okay. So I had come from a... I don't know if you know this, but there are teams... All over the globe, unbeknownst to a lot of people, there's like two or three teams in PA. There's one in Delaware. There's like three or four in Virginia. Just right. Just going off of like geographically nearby. There's teams in Germany, Great Britain, Russia, whatever. They're everywhere. I came from a team in Texas. While I was stationed down there, I found out that proton packs could be built and went ahead and built one and joined a team down there. So... Are you able to be rented for parties? We've done a bunch of stuff. We've done movie premieres. We've done birthday parties. We've done, we do like street festivals. Obviously, we did your first Friday bit yeah. up here. So, I mean, if the timing is right and the car works and so do we, Right. there's a lot of variables and factors. Our team is probably like 25, 30 deep, give or take. So most of the time we have a physical body to hand off to like a birthday party or something. Right. But usually the big attraction is the car. If we don't have the car, we're just like three or four schmucks just standing around in a costume uh, just hanging out. Like, and it's funny, too, because you'll get like all kinds of levels. My favorite party that we ever did, it was our first birthday gig. We had never, we had never done it before. and We're just like, what do we do? some lady asked us, do you guys do birthday parties? Well, that's what I'm asking. Yes, uh, sure. Hey, guys, somebody wants us to do a birthday party. And they want to
0: pay us to dress up and come there.
1: How do we do this? Yeah. How much do we tell her? And we're literally doing, if you're familiar with the scene from Ghostbusters, where they're trying to tell the hotel owner... Uh, how much it is? He's like, well, how much will this be? Right. And Egon's in the background, like thumbing out like numbers. He's like holding up three, and he's like, it's uh three right. big ones, you know. And they're like doing that. That is literally how we got started, kind of winging it. We That's were, like, like the
0: first time, like when you're in a band and somebody asks, like, how much do you charge? And you're like, I've never been asked that question. It could be two hundred, three hundred, like do you, do you
1: say, like, uh yeah, we'll right. do it for fifty bucks, and then you're just going. We could have got three hundred, right? Or you know that could have been a five hundred dollar gig. Yeah. You know, you start or you know, you're like, uh, yeah, we'll do it for five hundred. Mm, I don't know if I can afford you guys. Ah, uh, we should have said two fifty. You know, you start to backpedal, right. but yeah, we started to kind of hone in on on what it takes. Like our cost will vary with uh, basically where we throw at the dartboard, mixed with how many people, where is it, the car if it's involved. That car is a whole. It's what kind of car is that? That is a Caddy. OK, so we have in in it's our, kind of a hearse, right? Yes, it's a hearse ambulance. I guess if you didn't make it, it became the other thing. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> so with the uh, the cars, we have one that's currently getting a new engine, but that's the uh, the one that everybody knows and loves from the uh, the movie with Bill Murray and yeah. the gang. It depends on the wear and tear on these vehicles. So which vehicle, how far? What are we doing? Are we are we bringing anything to the party? Are we getting this kid a cake? What's the deal? One of the things that we started doing, which was pretty cool, we have a printout of official Junior Charm City Ghostbuster member, and we give them a little printout, and uh, we have them sign their name, and then two official Ghostbusters sign on like the 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 witness side for right making official, and the kids just we're eat gonna it need up. a notary. They eat that up, dude. Like, <laughs> I, dude, it's so crazy. Like how how deep we got into it. But the problem is, is like we did hit a wall like as a team where we just didn't want to do it anymore. And we'd get somebody new. Like we got a guy that we brought into the fold right before COVID. He did an event. We did a fired up for childhood cancer event. That's where we met uh, Heavy T. If you got to say somebody is the I want to say the heart, but I'm going to say the enthusiasm. This guy has been gung ho bobbling his head to say yes to just about everything that we can get our feet into. He shows up, and just some of us are just so dead inside. It becomes a job. It becomes that scene when they just hand Winston the traps. They're like, here, whatever. Welcome aboard. You're hired. Right. Um, And Winston's like, all right, good. I'm working. You see that in real life. You just see this guy's like, yeah, it's super cool, guys. I'm going to go ahead and dress up with you guys. This is going to be so cool. And we're like, kill me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. I got to put this 300-pound suit on here. Yeah, and, I'm done. <laughs> you know, StellarCon was a great event. And the cool thing that Kevin does is, you know, he brings in the bigger names like E. McGinty, yeah. Jim Cummings. But Winnie all, the
1: Pooh, man.
0: Yeah, he brought yeah. Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. And the girl playing violin was fantastic. But That was but pretty he also, wild,
1: yeah, from what I could hear where I was, yeah. And he, But
0: he also keeps uh, that local element there. Like, yeah, Dirty Bourbon was there. Of course. Yeah, Joe Ruggiero of State Farm. That guy. Yeah, Joe Rogier was in there. And then we had, I don't know what Lauren's business is called. You probably do because of Fright Reads. But she was there.
1: So she actually has a bracelet gig called Bootiful. Her first event to set up physically was Fright Reads. She apparently set up, she told me she set up a mock booth at her house, just to make sure everything would work and look good. It was it was funny. It was very adorable.
0: Well, you and I, we kind of caught up at Black Eyed Susie's at the after party of the event. You know, I really didn't see you at the event. I was working the event. Yeah, I'm on the floor and you were off ticket booting or something? T- ticket boothing, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And we talked about your musical background, which we're going to get into. But oh, you boy. were there that day as the author. Harry Carpenter, yes, the author. that's,
1: uh, that's where I'm... That's the direction I'm headed these days. Yeah, and you're uh, doing fantastic. You're, what are you up to, seven, eight books now? Yeah, about eight books Yeah, with uh, about 15 of them in the, in the shoots to get finished or started or something.
0: The, the thing that I run into that's probably the biggest struggle is I have a certain ADD. Like I want to be the writer, <laughs> but I also want to be the musician, but I also want to be the podcaster, but I also want to be in shape. And there's all these different things, and it's like I don't know how to juggle it all, so I feel so very So what torn. I did,
1: I got rid of that last one. <laughs> the DJ <BNHA> part, right? <laughs> I gave up on, on that at the McDonald's one. right now. Yeah, I gave up on that one. So what's interesting is all the things that you're doing now, all at once, just juggling all these plates. I have done at one time or another in my life. Yeah, and I'm not like it's not like I'm like 70 years old and seasoned. They're right. going, yeah, I've done all of these things. I, you know, I'm not even 40 yet, and I have been an online DJ. I have, uh, you know, recorded music either in a studio or in my own studio. I have done all of these different things and tried to, like, find my voice. And I think writing was the one that, you know, I was just able to be like, I can get into this because I don't have to have a singing voice to throw words on paper. I don't have to have a band to put words on paper.
0: I didn't even know you were in a band until that night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know the musical Harry Carpenter.
1: Yeah, that uh and you had
0: a band called Well, I thought it was Insane, but it's insane. Well, that was my solo
1: hip hop career. It's also
0: part of your Instagram handle.
1: And that is actually when you go to like in my Instagram handle, Insane Vigilante. Mm-hmm. That's where that came from. Or, you know, pretty much any other handle like on Steam or something, wherever I I've used it. You're right. Um, that's my thing. And it um, was a rap group. That was my solo. Okay. So, that was me being solo. Prior to that was with this guy I I knew for a while. We called it Downfall, and that was a duo which started as a trio and then the other guy uh kind of bailed on us. Yeah. Um and then a few years before that, in high school, I had a band called Zero to the End. And that did not go anywhere.
0: <laughs> it was high school.
1: That was high school and I had a drummer that didn't want to drum anymore. And he'd rather sing, and he'd rather me be the drummer. And if anybody's ever seen me with a drum kit of any sorts, even on, like, rock band or something, uh, my coordination is zero to none. I just start banging and kicking at the same exact time.
0: Well, you played me a couple tracks prior to the show, Ice Cream Truck or Ice Cream Man and General, or The General. Yeah, yeah. So so which band or project was that?
1: So that stuff was Downfall. Okay, so Downfall. That was the creative uh, where I really pushed, like, how wild can we get? Now this is uh, this is a dig into my past here, but I used to be heavily into this uh, this lesser known group called uh, Insane Clown Posse. I was gonna ask, but then I didn't want to ask because I was like, well, if he if that's not what
0: it was, then he's gonna be offended.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a dark stain on the past, but also not. So were you a juggalo? I plead the fifth.
0: Okay, so but the, yes, uh, is 100%. there a tattoo
1: somewhere on your body? So no, but I do. But have, you considered it. There are photos okay. of me in face paint. I have been to the Thunderdome Nations. Uh, yeah, you would have been the right age for it too. I was. I was right there uh, at the height of their best work, and that's. Uh, I'm going to use that <laughs> word lightly. Right. Um. Their honestly, their best work was the mid to late '90s. That's when they found their sound. They got good, and then they threw it away. Um, what was the magnet song? Like, what era was that? It, I think it was just the irreverence and the funniness of it. It's just so whether you look at rock or you look at hip hop or anything really, nothing's really just like satirically funny. Right. Like nobody goes up there and just sings like you're not going to have Hoobastank go up there and just sing these off the wall goofy songs. Right. You're not going to have you know Metallica up there just making fun of stuff. Right. Um, You're not going to have, you know, you might get some funny, like, Wu-Tang and Ice Cube uh, songs, but you're not going to get anything that's, like, over-the-top, like, what? Right. (laughs) Where it's, they recreate the telltale heart. They, They tell stories about, like, being in, like, haunted, like... Halls of Illusions where they have these people and there's a message behind it, you know, and you may so, or may not get that as a kid. So and it's interesting.
0: What you're saying is basically ICP kind of started fun, but maybe started taking themselves too seriously and people weren't on board with that. It was like, oh. wait a second, I'm just here for the fun. Did
1: they take themselves too seriously? I don't know. No. What okay. they did was they give you and I'm going to refer to like more recent, probably the past 20 years when I stopped listening to them they're just going through the motions cuz they have the fan base and can do whatever they want. Right. They stopped giving you these like very creative, edgy, groundbreaking style songs. Not to say every single one was a banger, but right. like they had they had some that were just like, dude, all right. Like just the vibe to like their song Great Malenko, which is named after the wrestler Dean Malenko. So they have stuff like that in Halls of Illusions back in like the mid 90s that just came out of the gate strong. They're entertaining. The music's good quality. Now it's just lazy. Yeah. But yeah, at one point in time, man, I was... I was not even knee-deep in it, man. I was elbow-y. You were in there. I was in there. I was... I moshed at their concerts. I crowd-surfed. I, I had a radio station that was 100%. It was called Juggalo Radio, and I was one of the late-night DJs. And that's where... We're going to segue here into uh, the books. That is where the story of the general came from. Which
0: is in Spooky Stories 1.
1: Yes. So its origin story is rooted in that reality from my time as a DJ, which then spawned that song that I did, which then rolled into the story that I wrote. So it's kind of like I wrote a story based on the song that I did about the real story. (laughs) This may have
0: been not allowed as a ICP fan. Did you also like Eminem?
1: Yes, I. That, so that's, it's weird. The feud is a
0: weird thing, because I, I never even knew where the feud
1: came from. I think they tried to make it a thing. Yeah. They were trying to make Fetch happen, and it didn't.
0: <laughs> ICP was trying to make the feud?
1: Or, yeah, yeah, I think.
0: M's like, what are you doing, MGK?
1: Basically. Right. They, uh, they got to this point where I think that they just wanted to assert dominance, and because he was one of the only few not vanilla ice white rappers out there, mm-hmm. I mean, name three. Um, that isn't vanilla ice back right. in that day, not now, but like back in that day, it was very, very slim pickings for like big names. So they just targeted, like, it, it was one of those things that just didn't take, but Eminem is superior in a he lot of the ways. Goat. He's dude. I mean, have you heard his newer stuff still? Like he's still got it.
0: He does still have it. It doesn't get and as it, much acclaim, gotten, but it's very good.
1: It might've gotten better because he's gotten faster. It was bars like bars to get murdered
0: by or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Like, he's got all of that stuff. So, yeah, it was. it's really weird to, like, to go to something like the Gathering of the Juggalos in Ohio, and you got all these people that are just, like, you know, they hate Slim Shady. Right. But and they then, don't even know
0: why they hate it. And they just want to hate, hate
1: it because they just want to hate his music and hate him because they're told to hate him. And you just see that. It sounds like politics. Dude, man, is music and books and, and movies... You you pull for one side or the other, you know. Look at hip hop, East Coast West Coast, both had phenomenal musicians, right? But you pulled for probably your own side. Um, See, I was an Easy E guy, so you were, but you were out in California doing the West Coast stuff at one point.
0: I just liked Easy in general. He was like, he was my favorite.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's
0: very aggressive, but there was always something funny in his lyrics. (laughs)
1: Oh man! So we can go down this this rabbit hole of uh, why hip hop sucks today, but rap back in the day used to have clever wordplay, yes, innuendos. That's the whole point behind the word bars. That it, it it just like give me a song in the past five years that little anybody has used the word derriere in a in a verse. You don't hear derriere anymore, <laughs> right. and I will tell you every song. Put your hands up, wave your derriere, and you're like, okay, <laughs> right. derriere. And then you're like, I just learned a new word, you know, as a kid. But yeah, it's just kids today and their music. So angry, you, sh- angry fish, shake.
0: You had, <laughs> you had this rap feud in, in this band that you told me about. A black eyed Susie. Do you want to share that, or do you want to kind of keep that as a story <sighs> that we had together?
1: Man, so I'll, I'll give the abridged version, but it was. It's one of those things where. It was a cool story. So, if you have a rat feud, you better be somebody like Tupac, Biggie, right. um, Jay Z, Eminem. Eminem,
0: I guess even ICP.
1: Literally anybody that has a record label and some semblance of a following. Downfall, which is where we did the uh, their songs and, and all that good stuff. We recorded our first album, which was Fall Down thought that was funny cuz it was downfall fall down okay um the the I actual image did. of the uh the album image was literally like just reversed on the other side and it said fall down it was kind of cool so we finished that put that out there in any time that we could any way that we could burn it and get it in people's hands. Mm -hmm. Um, We weren't even past like mixtape passing out level. This isn't being distributed through CD Baby. This isn't going on Spotify. Not that Spotify was around then, but you know, this hasn't gone anywhere. We're not YouTube sensations. That wasn't even out then. It it wasn't anywhere. So I said, I said creatively, dude, what if we took a break? I just want to get my head together, maybe write some stuff and like, upgrade my quality like i want to just find like my voice right all right man all right yeah we can do that I'll, i'll work on some stuff too cool we're good
0: but he took that as this is a breakup you're breaking up with me
1: we we mutually walked off as i'm gonna come back to this better faster stronger than i ever have been right and i hope you take this time and do the same right for whatever reason, once it bounced around it's in his little—it's not you, little, it's
0: me. <laughs>
1: it bounced around in his little nugget, yeah. To come out to this son of a bitch, right? <laughs> I'm going to write a song about him. So there I am in my uh, my apartment in in Rosedale, and uh, I'm sitting on this uh, this website called uh, MySpace. I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh yeah, Tom, um, God rest him. <laughs> and th- back in the day, if you were a musician and you had a music page, you could upload your songs. You could. And you could have your songs played. They still do that. But now that's literally, I think, all it's, its real jumping point is these days, is for bands to play their music. And also, nobody goes there.
0: Our page is still there. Yeah. But yeah, it's irrelevant. I have a profile. I you, log into it. The only reason I log into the profile is to get pictures from like 2000 like 3 or 4 to 2008, but it's lost most of them. All the videos are gone. Yeah,
1: and it whatever it did archive, you know, that's a that's a timestamp. That is a window in time. Well, that...
0: the thing behind me, the the trademark lawsuit, that was one of the nuggets that we were able to pull from because we had to go to archive.org. Yes. And it's got the snapshots of the old pages, mm-hmm. you know. So we could prove that we well, the internet got us back to about 2000 and then I had, like, enough receipts
1: and stuff to get me back to
0: 98. But, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, MySpace comes in clutch when it needs to. Okay, Yeah. So, at this point in time, MySpace came in clutch for Chuck when one of my uh, my fellow Juggalo Radio DJs messages me on the MySpace and he says, bruh. The MySpace. And he says, bruh. And I was like, what's up, man? He's like, you know, Chuck just sent this diss track out <laughs> the first time I'm hearing about it. Apparently, he uploaded it, like, two weeks ago. And this is the first time I think it was Nate that told me this guy Nate DJ Malenko <laughs> magician um, as as he was he told me about it and I went to Chuck's page and sure enough there it be and I can't remember what the lyrics were I can't remember what it was even called I know that he used a beat that I made that was the weakest thing I had ever heard like we were just like man this is like a boring beat I can't use this like it's good to just mellow <laughs> out to. <laughs> That's that's still more. In, I I I prefer the the old boom boom clap, but just falling on the floor. No, it was just boring. Like everything about it, the ambiance was just like, nah, nah. This is this is lame. So, Fair enough. I probably have it on my computer. I just don't know what it was called. So he he gets into it and he's just like, let me tell you all about Harry. He really sucks, and that's pretty scary. I don't know what he said, but it was it was in that rhythm. It was just like. <laughs> Really, bro? This is... I was mad. Like, he talked about my family. He talked about me out of nowhere. He was right on the beat, too.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, to. I messaged him, and I was like, dude, what gives? And he's like, yeah, you know what's up. No, I actually don't. That's why I'm approaching you. I'm asking you. Yeah, we got beat. But then you snapped back. And I was like, okay, I got you. I see you.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and me and my buddy Marvin had this beat that we properly named the beat. Like it was in all caps, the beat.mp3. Like this thing had strings, it had horns, it had keys, it had a hard hitting, thumping bass line. Everything about it was just absolute. And we were just like, no, no, I'm using the beat. T- today is the beat. And I think I wrote two verses, messaged Marvin, and I sent him a text message and I said, I'm using the beat. When can you be over? I get off work in 20 minutes. Great. I'll have my verses recorded by then. Hurry up. I didn't give him any guidance. No, nothing. I wrote his verse for the most part, and he tweaked it when he got to my house. Uh, we laid down all four bars, all four verses, everything, the hook, everything, and put it out. And I sent it directly to Chuck. Now, has time healed this wound at all? He can still kiss my ass. Okay. so um, that's... No, I mean, like, I, we talk. We're friendly. It's one of those things like so. the Ex nice.
0: bandmate is coming.
1: There's not even I can't even write more than one chapter <laughs> of that. Like I put out the beat. Just put the four pages of the
0: four verses. That just you put had. the four
1: verses. Publish it, and there you go. It's right. like and this is why he stopped. He he actually messages me and just goes, "It's messed up. It's real good, but it's messed up."
0: <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, on some and, level, like that's that was cool. it. Like you earned his respect.
1: Yeah, but you know. It was, I think it was then that I like, I think I did one final album of stuff and then I was like, "Ah, I guess music ain't for me. It's just not, it's just not cut out for it. And then my ex sold all my recording studio stuff while I was in Iraq and, uh, that was it. Yeah. That solidified it. I still made beats while I was in Iraq. The old FL studio, (laughs) good old Fruity Loops, whatever bootleg version I had. Um, probably like eight or nine or something. Like 10th generation cakewalk or something, right? Oh geez, man. Yeah, I had that. And I still made some beats. I remember one of my sergeants come up to me. And he's like, can you make me a beat? And I was like, yeah, man. He's like, I want a beat where it's like, you know, Grimy dirty. Like, I broke into your house. I drowned your goldfish. Kicked your cat. Well, you can write that, bread. but I the beat's like, not gonna do that. And I was just like, alright. <laughs> right. And I did. I made this, like, I'm really good with the piano stuff, so yeah, I, I did that, and that was probably one of the last forays into music that I had, other than just being an observer and listener at this point.
0: Well, let's steer the ship into the books. Before we do that though, I want to get into what I mentioned in the introduction, which was the Fright Reads Book Festival. I want to know what the impetus for but that was, and I've got just some general questions about how you felt it went, where it's going. Let's talk about Fright Reads.
1: So Fright Reads was an interesting uh, foray. I think I'm still in mild disbelief that it's still a thing. It was a- You laid the groundwork. I, 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 and what's funny is like, so there was a, uh, there was a horror book festival in Maryland. Okay. And I wanted in. I was like, this is where I belong. I write this kind of stuff. Right. Horror. That's me. And that sounds awesome. Like it's nothing but like-minded individuals. Military horror, to be exact. But for one of them, yeah, Oh, oh, one hundred percent. So I, I applied, I shot my shot, if you will, and they said no, I'm not a good fit. And then I realized that you're like, not a good
0: fit to be at the event.
1: I my my books aren't the right level of horror, and I'm then like they
0: didn't read them.
1: No, no, they didn't.
0: Oh. Um, but the
1: precursor- this a military books. It's like no, but you have to read it. But no, okay. the uh, the problem was it wasn't erotica. Okay. It needed to be somebody banging a werewolf and a dragon inside Ooh. of a cave while a monkey watches or something. I don't know. Um, well, that's our show, folks. There it is. <laughs> so, whatever. The, I don't know. Like I, I, I guess werewolf so. bear people. I all. It has to be something like that. And I didn't jive with them. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen Rama.
0: Uh, yeah, I've seen some episodes.
1: Bender the robot, where right. he says, "You know what." I'll go start my own company with Hookers and Blackjack. That was my exact response. Fantastic. I'll make my own book festival with Hookers and Blackjack. Unfortunately, I couldn't get the Hookers and Blackjack, but I did put together a pretty awesome book festival. You did. And it was, it's literally geared towards everything that I would want in a festival. The second that it becomes something that I don't want to be at, I don't want to do it.
0: You had Richard schismar, who is kind of the big author. He was with, the man. Yeah, yeah. He's friends with Stephen King. He just put out Chasing the Boogeyman. Uh Timothy Baldwin, who's got Camp Lenape, that series. We had the sponsor Liz Decker there, Capricor's Books. Uh, but you also had like other vendors like you had Lauren.
1: Yeah, I uh, had her beautiful bracelets. I had um I had Diagonal from You was uh ninth life. Like with the with the number nine, TH, mm-hmm. uh, Ninth Life, um, she was doing uh, retro pillows. So I don't know if you saw, like, those yeah. Goosebump blankets from, like, the, the early 90s. She actually turned those blankets into pillows that are coffin-shaped, made out of those blankets. Yeah.
0: She was by Liz.
1: Yeah, so she was, like, one over from her. So we had a bunch of really cool stuff. There was... Artway Alliance was in the one corner doing, like, drawing contests. Right. Like, quite literally, like, sit down, get a pen and paper, and draw. Uh, contest. You had a game room. I had the game guys. <laughs> game room. I had a game corner. It was corner. Kind of a game room, I had right? a game corner. Okay, well. Um, game room implies that I had a second room. But, yeah, game corner... Those guys were awesome. That was a uh, next level gaming out of uh, Columbia. It was cool. We ran into each other just at another event, and I was like, You want to come play? Give me some like horror level games. But the point is, the Fright Reads wasn't just about authors, it's literally what I want to walk into. If I see this online and I go, Huh, I wonder what this is. And I roll up in there, and it's a bunch of like middle aged women selling erotica books. That's not what I want to get into. What I want to walk into is exactly what I saw at Fright Reach, which was the guy at the the front, uh, where you had like the baby dolls and the severed heads and all of that. Like that's your first greeting as you walk in, right? I think he's back in. Was he Um, an author or was he? No, he. uh, That guy actually does. um, It's a web series called Things Forsaken, okay. And that's uh, that's their company name, but they do a, a web series where. They recreate, like, macabre and Eldridge props. Yes. And that's what they were doing there. And he made some really wicked hot chocolate that had, like, ghost pepper in it. Oh, nice. Um, I would
0: actually like that.
1: It was pretty cool. He had little chocolate bits. He's going to be there again this year, so uh, make sure you get some chocolate. But we had that. We had Ghost Hunters. We had Momtown Paranormal. I mean, yeah. it was... Yes, it's a book festival, and the idea is to have a 60-40 split. Right. I want 60% it's... authors... Yeah. But that other 40%, I just want it to just be absolute fire. I want you to be able to buy some weird stuff, some artwork, some, uh, that one girl that was making, uh, she was making stuff out of, uh, old book pages, making like flowers and roses.
0: It's kind of like the Halloween version of like authors and artists where you have the authors, but then there's
1: the the artists as well. So that's more like a Christmassy vibe to it. Right dial that back by about a month and a half. Right. And that's exactly what you'd have. You have authors and artists, uh, Halloween edition. How do you feel the event went? As belly up as I planned. Right. I expected it to maybe have like a dozen people walk through that door, and that was it, and I would have been happy. Be like, yay, somebody found us. We ended up having several hundred come through that door. Several hundred strangers. I don't know any of these people. The best part is when you put together an event, and it's not the same goofy faces that you know. When you can reach out to strangers and bring in this new crowd, that's good, because y'all have bought my books. I can't sell you my book. But to a complete stranger who's never been there, yeah, they're going to have a blast. This is new to them. Plus, it's also a very very different level of critiquing of your event, too, because you show up to my event, and you go, "Eh, that's all right, man. It's not bad. Not bad. I mean... Kevin Hawk showed up to the event. He he breezed through for like ten seconds, and he was yeah, like, "He was there." He's like, "This is pretty good. Is that an honest opinion, or is that the the Kevin Hawk my well, buddy opinion?" Well,
0: well, Kevin Hawk's an event planner and, yeah. and Booker and all that, and I, and I work in events, and I know how much goes into it—from like getting the tables to setting up the manifest to having ushers. You had volunteers there, even if twelve people only walked
1: through the room, it was already a success because you did it. That's how I feel. True. But it's also a success if I have uh, enough standing to do it again. I'm doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> All of the authors, if they didn't sell well, they sold okay enough and networked with the, uh, the three bookstores that I had on, on hand. Um, one of the things that I want to do is I want this to be a partnership. If the library would listen to me, I'm not selling them a table. They're not selling anything because they're a library. There was one in Southern Maryland. I did a Southern Maryland Comic Con a few weeks ago. They had uh, a PG County. Is that where we're at out there? I guess. Probably, yes. Something like that. Whatever county we were in, the public library was set up and they had little, uh, I call it the little Livestrong bracelets. They had that little keychains, signing people up for library cards, had little information packets that were on a bookmark that said all the services the library provided. So I would love to have them do something like that. That would be just super epic would be just have the library. Because, I mean, where else do you think of for books? Libraries, yeah, but you can get the bookstores. community involved.
0: It gets legitimacy behind what you're doing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's the that's the other half of that, is I want the community involved, which is why I partner with the three bookstores that I had the first year, which was uh, Park Books
0: mm-hmm.
1: by Dumb Luck Happenstance. We had the event in Severna Park. I'm actually at the other bookstore, Curmudgeon Books, mm-hmm. that's up in Marley Station Mall. It's not closed, by the way, if anybody's in Glen Burnie. Not yet, anyway. Okay. At least not at the point of this recording. Uh, (laughs) But I'm in that bookstore, and somebody says, oh, you don't have that? I'm going to go to that bookstore in Severna Park. And I said, bookstore in Severna Park? Go on. (laughs) And I Googled it real quick. They were around the corner from my festival. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I could have walked there. And I went immediately there and I was like, we need to form a partnership. You guys are like, you can throw your boxes into the building from the front door. Right. So we did. My idea was to link up with these bookstores. Yeah, I know you're all competing with each other, but you have one common goal, which is not be a GameStop. You're a bookstore. There's so much more that you can get out of books. So it opens up this whole new window of imagination and all that other stuff and yada, yada, yada. But that's my foundation is to try to partner with you know, the bookstores and the library. And I actually worked with Joe, the old State Farm uh, Joe. Old Joe Ruggiero. And his khakis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's paying for the stage, for our main stage. that so oh, that's be cool. A, I told him, I said, we're going to call it the Joe Ruggiero uh, State Farm Stage. That's right. Um, I said, we'll probably make it as dorky as humanly possible just for him to be embarrassed So where's the, time. So where's the new one going to be? So we had to move a little ways down the road. We had a lot of as you know, getting in that building yeah. Um it wasn't it's, bad though. It's not. Ba- it's not a bad setup. It's a great first time spot. Yeah, but the elevator kind of goofed everybody up going two floors. People had to come in and go to the basement, so that was already one strike against it. People were a little weirded by that. But the hardest part that we had was the Wi-Fi for yeah. the vendor side, and it that, kept going out. And oh, if it even came in, the the Wi-Fi was just nasty. We had. We had Wi-Fi issues. We had parking issues. We had nobody can find the damn building issues. So now we've moved it up the road into Millersville. We are just right off of Benfield Road, mm-hmm. which is right off of Veterans Highway in 97. Okay. Um. So you literally take I-97 and you'll see the exit for exactly where you're – heck, you could probably see it from the side of the road on the highway. Okay. And you'll pass it going, that's where I needed to be. So but it's there's going to a-
0: be a stage, you said.
1: Inside, yeah. We're going to have a stage inside. Okay. So you know how we had the other uh, reading room um, yes. that we upstairs the one The room that we weren't able to get into for the first two hours of the event. And <laughs> right. nobody nobody was being directed to it because nobody knew it was there. We're going to circumvent that problem, and there's no excuses now. Everyone's in front of you. And we've already booked the Ghost Hunter guys again, uh, Mob Town Paranormal. Um, they're going to go up there and do their thing uh, right there on the main stage to demonstrate— and I have a, uh, a shock magician. Oh, cool! Um, a shock magician illusionist. Uh, one of those guys that I, I, I jokingly told him. He says, oh, I'm a magician." I said, "What do you do?" He's like, "I walk on glass." I said, "That just means you walk barefoot in Dundalk, buddy. That's not a uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a skill. <laughs> that's just that's just Tuesday for y'all." But I
0: wear these socks that look like skin, and nobody knows
1: the difference. So he does a lot of uh, interesting illusions okay. where he can like put thread through his neck and. All like really interesting stuff. So yeah. he does he does that, but his uh, his his big hurrah is probably going to be something like walking on. I told him no fire for obvious reasons, right. but but like glass or I told him I set up the ante and put Legos down, bud. If you want to eat light
0: bulbs, go for it. Yeah. So what authors do you have already signed up for next year?
1: So got this one guy, uh, Brad Cox. Maybe you heard of him.
0: I haven't. No. Yeah, he Doesn't wrote uh, some Children
1: of the Program. I I don't know some yeah. some crazy. Uh, <laughs> Half cocked a conspiracy theory Half-coxed. book or something, yeah. Half cocked. Half cocked. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: Sherry Cook Wozley.
1: Uh, Sherry actually was my latest edition. Okay. Um, Sherry uh, told me that she's got some new books on the horizon, mm-hmm. and by the time we get around to next October, they'll be out. So she's on board, which is pretty awesome yeah i wanted her to be on for the first one but time and planning did not allow
0: as an author do you feel like when you go to these events if you're not churning something new out like why am i here like i feel like by the time that next event comes
1: i at least want to have a novella done so here's what's funny doing a StellarCon twice yeah i mean kevin unfortunately knows like how how close that was yeah didn't do it any favors but he wanted to try to put it back on schedule the problem is is that most people have the same crap, <laughs> right? I had the fortunate happenstance that Spooky Tales Two came out in between Stellarcon One and Stellarcon One Point Five.
0: Right. Well, he was on my show, and he's like, "Well, yeah, as you know, I'm going to be doing Stellarcon again in November." And my brain, because of COVID, thought next November. Yeah, not, right. Not like you literally just did Stellarcon a month. You and just a half did it ago. yesterday. Yeah. What are you doing? You and it tomorrow? He's like, no, like literally, like a month and a half, two months from now.
1: Yeah, so I can I can definitely see where it's just so there's it's it's twofold. So on one hand, the familiarity, you know your product, you know your books. My problem is I get excited for the next thing and I want to talk about FUBAR three. I am two thirds of the way through writing that and the story starts to blend for me. So part of it for me is I need to get through book three and four. So I don't accidentally spoil anything because I know, I know the inside dirt, you know, yeah, I I was there. I was on the ground floor when the monsters took over.
0: All right. So real quick, And the reason I made the joke earlier about Tales of an Ex-Bandmate, you've got a bunch of books they are kind of taking on the life of, like, series, in a sense. You've got Tales of an Ex-Employee, Tales of an ex wife or Ex-Husband. Yes. You've got The Spooky Stories 1 and 2.
1: Yeah, Spooky Tales and Scary Things. Uh,
0: um, I think the, your first thing ever was brain dump, where you just took all the ideas that you had and and brain dumped them into a book. That was
1: the third thing that I put out, and it was okay. only because that exact description. I thought it was
0: first for some reason. And
1: that's the exact description. I took everything that I already had yeah and stuck it in a book and i formatted it and put it out into the world it's old songs poems little things that i jotted down in like notepad whatever it happened to be some of them were hard copy uh handwritten in a in a one subject spiral bound back in the day from high school or middle school so yeah that's exactly what that is it was just like here's all my stuff
0: and bam and you You're got welcome. Memoirs of a Crazed Mind, but I want to talk about Fubar Blackout and Fubar Out of Element. This is like kind of teeing itself up to be a four book series. That's the goal. Uh, you got two of them out. And what gives credence to these books and what's interesting about them, you had a military background from 2008 to 2012.
1: Listen, guy, I played Call of Duty once or twice. I know a thing. <laughs> I prestige three times. I'll have You, you were in the
0: army in El Paso. <laughs> but yeah, yeah you, I,
1: you went overseas. I went to Iraq. So. Yeah. The fun thing that I had with this is I, I like a lot of, like, I don't read a lot. Right. It's taken me forever to get through your children of a programs. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just a lot of words, but it's readable. It's great. It's entertaining. It's just like my brain's just like, you have to do other things. And I'm like, right. you know what, brain? Good suggestion. Other things. And that other thing is literally just like, go cut the grass. Um, <laughs> right. So I'm the same way. My short attention span dictates how I write. I wanted to write a sci-fi that's kind of like easy to just jump into chapter one's done. Bam. Oh, okay. Well, I could probably get through chapter two. And then before you know it, you're up to chapter four and then you're like, all right, cool. And then you come back to it a couple of days and you bang out another two or three chapters. It's really easy to digest. So I did that coupled with my love for, uh, you know, sci-fi. I like aliens. I like like Starship Troopers, the the video game Doom from way back in the day. Um, All those kind of things are just like, some of the inspirations yeah. for the type of scenario that these guys have found themselves in coupled with the very backbone, which is my deployment. I, what division were you in? Uh, I was in the army. Yeah. Uh, I was in first armor division, which what used to be based out of Germany, they moved to El Paso, which is Fort Bliss. And for those that don't know where El Paso is, look at Texas and there's a little pointy tippy tippy thing on the very right side or the very left side. That's it. The very, very tippy tip. If you think you're looking at Mexico, you're probably looking at it right. It is in the middle of the desert. It's awful. We, we went to Iraq and it was the same. We landed and we're like, we just circled the air a little bit, didn't we? We're still here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Um, you do describe the landscape. You describe the weaponry in a way that somebody like myself probably couldn't do. And if I did, like, I, I wouldn't I know you to halfway. softly pull the trigger because if you were to pull it hard, you know,
1: you, yeah. you know. And I meet you halfway with it. Right. I don't I don't insult your intelligence, but I also carry you along enough. That way you can paint a picture. If you've never fired a 249, what's that like? You feel powerful. That's the only way to put it. Right. If you fire off. I mean, there's a scene where they fire off some guns that are on a helicopter. Those big, huge, like, just mini guns. They're just like, Bleh. what is that like to fire? A glorious. You will be harder than Chinese algebra when you're done firing that because it's so much fun. I, That's the only way to tell you. I have fired 50 caliber machine guns that were just the greatest joy that I've ever had. And I, I'm not a gun nut, but... There's something about it, just something that powerful in your hands.
0: No, we talked about on drinking with authors that you know you write what you know. Yeah, but you also, I believe you said that you wrote yourself into the book, so you are kind of one of the characters.
1: Is that correct? So everybody in the book is somebody that I know. Okay, so the which main, one's you? The main character. Okay, same. Uh, same. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it's easier to tell it from that perspective. It, it is. Be weird to tell me from a third person. Right. Weird. That would be weird. Anyway. Can uh, <laughs> I get that um, other personality going? So Chantry, uh, Specialist Chantry, is the main character, and he's kind of me. He barely gets by on the physical fitness stuff. He can kind of shoot the weapons. I was really good with the rifle, mm-hmm. but when it came to the pistol, I was better off doing that Superman trick where you just throw it at him. Um, I was better off just throwing the gun at the enemy. So all of those things kind of went into who Chantry was. I, I had better things to do. I had better places to be. So that was a lot of the chantryisms, where he's just like, "Whatever, dude, I don't want to be in charge. I just want to kind of coast along till my enlistment's done. I'm out of here." Yeah. I tried to be in charge in real life. And that just went belly up for me. So I got completely disillusioned and I didn't want to do that. So now Chantry is already there before even getting to where I was. He doesn't want to be there. You know, he's got that, uh, that, that clerk's mentality. He wasn't even supposed to work today. That's his mentality. I think there's even a clerk's joke in the book where that's even said, but, you know, it's stuff like that. Everybody else that he works with, whether it be civilian contractors, whether it be fellow soldiers, some mercenaries that they run into, and so on and so forth. Everybody is somebody that I served with in some capacity. That's cool. And when I got finished book one, they got word that I did this. So people that weren't in book one, uh, I remember distinctly my buddy Rob. He goes, dude, just checked out this food bar thing, man. I want to be in it. I want in. You're already in there. And I was like, all right. He's like, all right. So hear me out. His name is Tobias, Tobias Cashworth. And he's a mercenary, bounty hunter, gun for hire, explosives expert. Okay. Okay. And he says, oh, and this is how he's going to die. Okay. So this man told me his whole backstory, the name, and how he dies. So I ended up getting into the story. There is a character in FUBAR 2 named Tobias Cashworth. His introduction is literally like as they're going around the room, he's like, "Hi, Tobias. Tobias Cashworth, bounty hunter, contract killer, gun explosives and expert." And he does the whole shtick, yeah. and they're like, "Shut up! No, you're not." And the other guys call him out on it and tell him that he's not. That he's a washout from this and that and the other. And he's like, "Whatever, guys." So it's kind of my nod to like bring bring the real guy down a peg, <laughs> right? Right. um All the while having a good time, and he got a. He had a very cool character. Yeah. He was fun.
0: And for anybody who hasn't read the book, at a point, as it says on Amazon, you inject monsters into the book.
1: Oh, yeah. There's, they're not just in there uh, Tom Clancying their way through. Right. What you end up getting is, like I said, my inspirations are Aliens, mm. Doom, right. um, Starship Troopers. It's, yes, it's more it's, like Alien. Well, Aliens is the sequel with the Colonial right. Marines. Okay. Where they're in right, there okay. and the aliens are coming out of the walls. Game it's over, a, man. Game great, over.
0: Great, great movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so in addition to it not being a straight up just book about war and army stuff. Right. Like Commando the, or something. Yeah. These guys are also nerds. The main gang is they're pop culture nerds. They love music. They love movies. They love TV, video games. That's literally how they survive. The first things they encounter, they're like, what should I do? I don't know. Shoot for the head. Shoot for the head. Who says that? Well, I don't know. It works in the movies, give it a whirl. Literally the only thing that they never do in zombie movies is already know to shoot for the head. They always play dumb and they that's go, right. oh, he seems infected. Something's wrong with him. I'm going to go check him out. Let me stick my arm in his face. Um, that's every zombie movie, in the at least the initial bite, um, before somebody realizes, shoot him in the head. Be it walking dead, land of the dead, whatever it happens to be. Um, I just, I cut the mustard. I went right in there. I cut right through it. And they try it. Doesn't work, but give it a give it the old college try, as they say. Um, So they start using their like video game pop culture knowledge, exploding barrels, all that kind of stuff. So what is the major
0: difference between book one and book two? And just because it's your first one, are you still a little bit
1: partial to it? So book one is so the names also have a connotation with the awareness of the crew of where they're at. So blackout, no one knows what's happening. This is everything has hit the fan, and everything is as the book is it's titled. A bird box. It's very bird boxy. Nobody knows what's going right. on except in Bird Box. They knew that there was a thing outside There's that they a couldn't thing see, happening. right? So they knew they knew what it did and how it worked. They just didn't know what it looked right. like. Um, in this case, this these creatures literally overrun a military base in a matter of probably moments. So you get you get kind of this like. We're in the dark situation and everything has gone completely awry. I used blackout because when a base gets hit by a rocket or someone dies through combat or non-combat means... The base goes on what's called a blackout. They cut out the internet, phones, the whole shebang. No communication in or out, just so we don't get on Facebook and go, "Ah, oh, did you hear about Sergeant Snuffy? Oh, he got blown to bits." And then Sergeant it was Snuff- a blackout. And and Sergeant Snuffy's wife is going, "Oh my God!" They want the appropriate channels, the chaplain to go to the house, that kind of stuff. They want to get ahead of it. Yeah. Um. So they go on a blackout. So I chose Blackout for that reason because no information is coming or going. No one knows what's happening. And it's just those guys just trying to get off the base and survive. You get into book two and they actually link up with an agency, like a men in black type of group, if you will, Okay. Um, that is part of like a strike team to eliminate these creatures. So somebody knows about these things and they've already got a task force to get rid of them. So they get in over their heads. So it's called Out of Element. So it's,
0: it's going to be like when the aliens actually do arrive and they finally say, yeah, we knew, you know, yeah. they've been um, here the whole
1: time. So it's something to that effect. Like this company is leading on. Uh, there's more than they let on. Okay. So that's going to be out of element. So I have the next two books that are planned are Situation Normal, which it's anything but. And the fourth book is going to be called Homefront, which
0: will be... Ties it all together. The final book. Do you know the timeline for targeting three and
1: four? I'd like to say I'd have a book out next year, but me and Tim are also working on a serial killer (laughs) book. I, I, I have about 40 different projects. I have... There's a book that me and Tim are working on where we're writing it in tandem. So I have chapter one. He has chapter two. So you get two different characters, two different perspectives, two different writing styles. That might be next year.
0: Can I say the title or you want to yeah, say Chemical it? Yeah, Chemical Burns.
1: Okay. So we're going to have a book, Chemical Burns. Um, we'd like to have that done next year. I got a book about a vampire. That's all. I'll, I'll leave that at that. I got a book about a vampire. Okay. I, got a, I got a fantasy story that I'm working on, like you know, Lord of the Ringsy type of fantasy story. I got Spooky Tales 3 in the shoot, so it's hard to say. when you. I just want to release, like, 40 books next year. So what do you do, right? <laughs> yeah, if you could
0: only get more time back. So with FUBAR, because it is a series, I did want to ask you, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Have you considered trademarking the name? You do not want
1: somebody coming along and taking your books down. That would be devastating. So the problem with FUBAR is that it's not trademarkable because it's a military acronym.
0: okay. So, well, then you don't need to worry about it either. I
1: don't have an issue because I have the novel right. called FUBAR. There is a comic book. It's called The FUBAR Comic. Um, it's, I don't know, a gory, beat up comic book that I've, I've seen around. So if you Google up, like, FUBAR, that will come up. There's some military, like... Military joke books called FUBAR. So it gets thrown around everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I think it's so commonplace. It's an acronym this...
0: for stuff up beyond all recognition. Absolutely. Yeah. So
1: I don't think where, where you're going to deal with schizo-calypso, that's very, very specific. That is a, especially the spelling and everything about it. Everything about that was so niche. The odds of putting your finger on that randomly in another part of town, slim to none.
0: Right. Well, he had schizo. That's all he had. Oh, S K I T S O, and it was explained to me that schizo was the dominant word. It'd be like if you had Nike and Nike swoosh. Okay. So that's how this whole thing unfolded. But that—that's—that's that's a whole. But, but in other that podcasts. in that sense, I think yeah.
1: it's because it's such a niche word. It's not yeah. like an acronym that's used commonplace right. in military. It's this is a very common thing. It's it's like using SOCOM. SOCOM is an acronym for an operation. It's you know South American operations and stuff like you get. Like when you get like those Tom Clancy stories and they're like SOCOM, Navy SEALs, yeah, stuff like that. There are other games that can, or books and and stuff that can use SOCOM. They just can't call their game SOCOM, Navy SEALs. But everything else is is there. I've gotten all the other stuff in place. So if well, something does come up.
0: I'm excited for your book three and four. It's obviously a labor of love. And we have the, the memoirs of a crazed mind, which came out, what was that, back in the summer?
1: Was, yeah, it was a. Almost, uh, that was over a year ago. Oh, was it that long? Yeah, it was uh, the previous summer. Oh, God. I feel like I was on the
0: beach when I saw the update or something like that. Yeah,
1: that one was fun because everybody has read it. And my favorite story is that my dad picked up two copies. And he took them back to New York with him and dropped them off at his church. They are now in the church library. And one of the guys in the church went, man, that was fun now that's cool now do you mind if i read you the first sentence from the book no why i think as if i don't know it i'm going to dramatically turn to chapter one
0: okay now for those who cannot watch harry do this he is very dramatically turning to the first page of chapter
1: one and i'm holding it as if i'm going to dramatically read he's going to read the whole book right now this is chapter one okay chapter one entry 100 jesus where do i even begin And I'll leave it at that. That is now in a church as the opening line is Jesus (laughs) and everyone is eating it up. And I love that it's in the church doing so well because it's the places you don't think. We
0: have a lot to cover and I'm like not even like halfway through my notes and we're already in an hour. So
1: yeah, let's uh, let's let's speedball this. Come on. Fast money around. No um, whammy. No whammy. No whammy.
0: So you are an Aries. Last I checked. Yep. Were you a fan of Rob Bradley's Aries? Were you aware of the band Ares? No. Okay, so there was a local band called Ares, and it was Rob Bradley's band before Thrill Killer.
1: Okay, yeah, that was before... So that question, so right thr- in the trash. Right in the garbage. No, so Thrill Killer and all his other stuff, I think I had just moved up here when Thrill Killer kind of really hit the scene, Yeah, when he started pulling that out, because I didn't move back up here until like 2012 and got into the... The world again in like 2014. Yeah, so that would have probably been around the the beginning. So I just missed Aries.
0: So your sign would suggest that you're a confident and determined risk taker. as that I, I would honestly say
1: is that what you see? Because I've have, I've have rolled the dice on many a thing.
0: I think you're confident. I know you're determined because you got multiple books and you, yeah. you know you're tenacious. And I would say risk taker in the fact that you were calculated. Well, you were I would also, say calculated. You risks. were in the military. And that's, that's... Well, that's
1: the dice roll of dice rolls. Right.
0: <laughs> exactly. So I, I would say yes. Yeah. But you could also meet an Aries that's completely nothing like you. Sure. But that's that's what your description has online. Uh, favorite comic book hero other than Deadpool? Ah. So... <laughs> and if obvi- you want to get into what the, the web pool is, you can do that too.
1: So obviously Deadpool's Deadpool's the guy. I connect with Deadpool because he's irreverent he's goofy he's very very good at ad-libbing and that's where i'm at yeah and that's how i succeeded with the web poll. we did uh it's three of my friends it's t-stun and spider-man on instagram and my buddy jd we kind of got together as spider-man deadpool and venom and just started doing these one-off skits we started doing these like full-blown like web series and it got really weird a couple years ago when some kid came up to us like probably 14, 15 years old. It's like, I grew up watching you. And we're like, you grew Yeah, yep. The math checks out. You could have been like five. So we we put together probably six years worth of just internet chaos as what we consider our favorite characters and got to just let loose and open up. But obviously Deadpool's only been around since the mid 90s. It's weird because Ghost Rider was my dude. I have more Ghost Rider action figures, comic books, collector cards than any other hero. Only followed closely second by Gambit. Ghost Rider and Gambit are like they're very okay. neck and neck.
0: But you tend to dress up like Deadpool when you go to the nerd parties.
1: It, it works. Yeah, it just works. It just I. No, is the, that a heavy
0: costume too?
1: Yes. Um, it's not heavy, but it's it's rubbery though, right? No, it's uh, oh, okay. it's actually. It looks rubbery, canvasy. It's it's like wearing like sporting equipment kind like of boat but not. seats.
0: Is it like polyurethane? Feels like it. I don't know. It's, it feels like <laughs> it's full of yourself and polyurethane. It feels
1: like it's full of foam and just hot. Everything about it, it it's looks a good, hot. It's That's a why hell it looks of rubbery. a winter costume, though. I'll tell you that we were out doing his uh, safe apocalypse thing when we were outside in the middle of like dead of November. It's right. like thirty degrees outside, and everybody's out there wearing their little fancy skirts and skimpy outfits, and and really tight-fitting like spandex, mm-hmm. and they're out there like putting on coats and everything, and, and I'm they're... unzipping, and just steam is just coming out of me. Wow. Best costume ever in the absolute cold. Well, if down. you ever do
0: the band thing again, you need to put that on or wear it on stage. Exactly. Yeah. So Downfall's got to make a reappearance. <laughs> we need to hear the general in a Deadpool outfit. All right. Uh, how about quirky thing that nobody knows about you?
1: It's not so much a quirky thing, but I'm double-jointed in my arms. Let's see it. Oh. I can do that.
0: So what you're doing right now is you're basically flipping your elbows inside out. Wow. (laughs) It's even weirder when you do it in slow motion.
1: (laughs) Well, like just, uh, uh. oh.
0: You need to work that into the book somehow, the next book. Favorite national authors. I hate this question because like you were saying with the children of the program books, I don't like reading. I like writing. I I just completely dodged the question now.
1: And it's literally at least five people minimum will come up to the booth and go, so uh, who are you reading right now? Um, this is Doctor. He's, uh, he wrote a lot of stuff. Matthew,
0: Mark, Luke, John.
1: Uh This Doctor guy. I can't na- think of his name, but he had this book about these dogs. They were going. Some of them were in cars. Some of them. And they look at me and they, they like start to connect the dots. I'm like, he's talking about Dr. Seuss, isn't he? <laughs> I will literally just name something completely irreverent because honestly, it takes me a while to get through books. Um, But if I had to pick, I can probably get him to this new Fright Reads. So, Jonathan Mabry, his writing is actually the inspiration for Fubar's style. He writes uh, like. So,
0: again, for people that don't know, uh, it is kind of a very conversational tone. Yeah. In your book. Yeah.
1: It's, it's descriptive and conversational. Yeah. So, in Fubar, I wrote it as this character that's just going along for the ride. There's nothing really that he can do in his power, especially in the beginning. It's just like, ah, uh, yep, we'll just we'll just take the current where it takes us and and see where the day uh where the day ends up. He has a character um in his book series. I actually stumbled upon it at like a Barnes and Noble on my way to Iraq. I went to a Barnes and Noble to grab a book and I picked up a uh I picked up one of those Nooks. Remember those before Kendall became a I thing? I do, yeah. The Nook. What a piece of trash. Well, and it's got his quirks too. It, they do. Yeah. But I'm just saying like the the gen 1 What a piece of trash.
0: I mean, you would think after all this time, and you've formatted enough books, like, that they would have found a way to make this easier. This can't be that hard. We're talking about words on a page. It's hard. It is. Trust me, it's so hard. Um, Especially, (laughs) and then you see it on Kindle, and it, like, redoes it, and it's a mess.
1: And you're like, how did you get... Did you drink? That's not what I said. you. Were you drinking, Kindle? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did I leave you at the bar again? Yeah. People don't understand that don't do this type of thing. but
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. You can format it and it looks great on paper and you're thumbing through the pages going, ah, what a beautiful book. And then you open up Kindle and it's like Picasso put together your book. And you're yeah. like, how did chapter five get here? Right. Why are we starting with, cha- with chapter 28? Yep. But yeah, his his books, I picked it up and I got it on the uh, the nook. I saw it in the store and I was like, I'm gonna put that on my nook read it on the way over, and halfway through my deployment, I read through this book called Patient Zero. It struck every single note. It had zombies. It mentioned Baltimore and Ocean City, so it was a local story. Um
0: Sounds like walking through fire.
1: It's a, it's a super, yeah, but it's like a super yeah. awesome story, and he has a series, and it's this main character, Joe Ledger, Who finds himself, like, he's a Baltimore City police officer. He kind of washed out of the military in a sense. I think he made it to sergeant and called it a day. He's now in the police force. He's extremely skilled, just nothing has challenged him. Mm -hmm. So he finds himself in this zombie strike force. And now he's up to, like, God, I think he's, like, 12 books in with his Joe Ledger series. I can't keep up. And his books are just ungodly thick. They're, like, 700 pages, but it's such good material And Mabry is like, he's like a trained fighter. He writes some of the best action scenes you've ever read. It's just a very, a very fun book. And his chapters are nice and short. And that's what I respect about it. I think chapter one was like three paragraphs. And I turned a page and it was like chapter two. And I was like, hot damn, I'm done for the day.
0: (laughs) I think some of my favorite books, and I do read. I'm just kind of being a little bit hyperbolic. Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Mm -hmm. That's a long book. I I I took an entire week sitting on the beach just reading it. That's a good book. Yeah. Death of a Salesman. If you just want something that's like... What a classic. It's a good one. It's a Um, classic. Gentle Art of Not Giving a
1: ah. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a
0: Subtle. Subtle Art. I'm thinking of the the Faith in the (laughs) War
1: What a (laughs) book to live by if you didn't... And I already lived by it. He didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. But it's just... The book is literally... To put it lightly, is just don't sweat the small stuff. That's it. And that's all it is. It's just the subtle art of not giving a f- Right. What does that guy think about me? Am I, am I impressing everyone? No, it doesn't matter.
0: When you think about what does that guy or what does that girl think of me, they're not thinking of you at all. And if they do, it's only for like, it's a synapse, like, jerk. That, it may be like a word that goes through their brain, but it's not like they're sitting there consciously like, that Brad Cox, that son of a
1: bitch. You know, it's like that's what I do. That not what everybody else does. <laughs> maybe maybe there's more people of doing a that. Bitch. I have like a whole war room. But there's like, like strings people, on pictures. Yeah, like but when people get like all like worked up about what
0: other people think of them, they're not really thinking of them. Or they are, and then that's a whole other thing.
1: But yeah, that then it becomes an obsession, and it gets creepy. But then it's completely on them. So while we're talking about other books, audiobooks open me up a little bit more because I used to drive to school, yeah, and driving back and forth like a half hour, I get into some books. Local man, Mike Rowe. Okay, you've heard of the guy, Dirty yeah. Jobs, yeah, yeah, a million yeah, yeah, yeah. and a million other things. Yeah, Discovery Channel himself. Yeah, um, this man has done it.
0: He has, he has a
1: book called That's the Way I Heard It. It is funny and it's a biography. He tells you a true story about someone famous, but you don't you're guessing until the end of the story when he tells you and that person became Bill Clinton. And you're like, "Oh, no shit." And That's then he cool, says yeah. and similar to Bill's story, I found myself in hot water and it's like, "Oh, okay." And then it like there's a relation to it. It was a very fun read. You're right. And I would love nothing but to get a paperback copy and have him sign it because I thoroughly enjoyed the book. That's cool. So that one was a good one. I'm trying to think of other like other than reading uh reading Tim's stuff. I think that's the only thing I've ever read in recent recent times was uh Tim Baldwin's so, stuff. So uh,
0: let's give Tim Baldwin a shout out on the show. He's uh, you know a local author brother of ours. Uh, We got Heather Carson, uh, Sherry Cook Weasley. We've mentioned her a couple of times.
1: So what's really interesting is you and Tim and unfortunately we had to have that cancellation because Heather uh, moved to the other side of the country. But you guys were like my core to get Fright Read started. Every other author that you saw there, I had no idea who any of these people were. Who was the woman that was dressed like a cat the whole time? That was a dude and that was a fox. Okay. Um, It was a fox demon. That was somebody named Xander. His books are way in a weird category somewhere. Okay, but again, it's not for me to say. I was like, the only grounds that I have is it's not erotica. I don't want like some weird like romance novel like that stuff that you find at the grocery store checkout. Like there's little cheapo (laughs) uh, like the Star Report. Yeah, I don't want that mixed with like it's a dragon banging an alien type of book. So I checked out Xander's book, and it's it's kind of just this like. It gets rough. It's like those mangas where they get like crazy with the the demons and the torture and stuff like mm. that, but in written form. But again, it's a very niche market. Dude sold like three or four. There's some weirdos out there that bought like three or four of those books. Yeah. So who was I to deny this guy a platform? That's that was that comes back to like my main core thing is I'm designing fright reads not to be a cash cow for me. I don't want to like retire and buy yachts right off of this this whole ordeal would be nice but yeah it would be nice um but what i want to do is to be able to you know successfully sustain the event for years to come while still offering cheap enough tables for the up-and-coming like nobody author that has like 20 bucks to their name yeah that that's been my thing i'm like all right so like the first year was uh was was it 25 bucks or something like 20 bucks Something I, I honestly don't
0: remember because it was like 2019 or 2020 when you sent it out. It was I like hundred years and, ago. And if, so this if year, if I didn't pay for it, let me know. But yeah. So
1: this year was 35. Okay. And I said, okay, that so I 30, so 35 bucks. Well, let's say if you're no, if you're a nobody author like me and you, what's that to us? You sell what three children of the programs? You're good for the day. You broke even, and everything else is a plus. Right. If that you sell the entire trilogy well, to you one person buy first,
0: but yeah, but I'm saying like you yeah. sell
1: that to one person, you sell the trilogy, you're up, yeah, you're, you've done well for the day. So my, t- I mean, yeah, it's not like you got to buy your
0: I, stock. I'm not trying to make profit. At all. I just want to sell
1: them. But you also don't want to come out in the hole, right? Nobody wants to do that. Just enough to make you feel like yeah, it was good that I was there today. Yeah, the last thing you want is that that remorse of being at an event. So to pay two seventy five, 300 dollars to be at an event and sell a and sell nothing, and then you bought, Lord knows how much in books, probably like three hundred dollars in books. Mm-hmm. You know you're out almost a grand for what. But in your mind, if you sell, you know, six books and you pay for your table because the event's only like thirty bucks, you're doing all right for yourself. You sell, you know, I can't, I don't know what the markup is for like Lauren's bracelets, but. She made enough money to pay off the table, so in my mind, that's a success. Whether well, or not it's she, just
0: about being a part of it, it is. But it's something that you can post about. It shows that you are active and true. Yeah, you know, it's got its value.
1: But there is there is that other flip side where if you are not if you are not actually selling at all, it also gives you a option to kind of reevaluate you. Why are my books not selling? Is it the cover? Is it me? Is it my table? Well, what that is it?
0: goes back to our conversation pre-podcast. <laughs> if you're not willing to talk to people, people that go to these events, they're not there for your books because they don't know that they're there.
1: You have to be a bit of a salesman, but sell your books. That's why you're there. You, you have to either sell them or have a guy, you know, have a handler, as they say. If you've ever gone to the celebrities and stood in a line at a Comic-Con for, you know, Any number of big people. A lot of times they get so wrapped up and their heads just kind of spinning because there's so many people going by. They have a person that deals with them. Mm -hmm. And in their case, they're selling autographs and stuff. And you know, you're they're helping you pick like which picture and which glossy you want signed and so on and so forth. In the case of an author, if you aren't good with the words, you're good with typing them, but you're not good at using them, sit down. Have a pen in your hand and smile and have a good friend, somebody that's just like a master salesperson, somebody that just approaches people. It's like, hey, how you doing? You guys like sci-fi? Well, Tim Tim actually likes my pitch. You guys like sci-fi, horror, fantasy, fairy tales, murder? <laughs> right. <laughs> and murder. that's usually like how I have that pause, like whatever my books are about. I'm like, you guys like sci-fi, horror? Well, you've
0: got enough books at this point. You've pretty much covered the genres.
1: I've had people tell me, oh, I don't like what you write. And I was like, I literally write everything, so that's impossible.
0: Right. Unless you don't like books. Or you just Um, don't like me.
1: Or you don't like me. And that's actually been effective to stop people. But again, that goes with, you know, conversating with people. They didn't just shut you down and quietly walk away. They engaged with you, which is your if if they engage with you that's an in. So this I, I could do TED talks all day on how to sell stuff.
0: And you're about to right now because <laughs> this is going to be the last question, how you handle writer's block and and how can somebody get into this game? Cuz a lot of people they can't even get over the writer's block to do a book. How can somebody get into writing their own books?
1: I hate writer's block. It's not a thing. There is no such thing as writer's block. Um you don't ever just sit there and just go ah And there's just nothing like you're just there, like the pens in your hand, the keyboards in your fingers and just nothing wants to come out. No,
0: I've gone through phases where like I can't write anything but lower quality material. I guess your brain's in a bad place. You're not in a
1: creative mindset. Right. So you're just slapping something together for the sake of writing it because you want to go through the motions. Something's
0: still coming out.
1: Well, and I I told Tim, we're working on chemical burns and he made a joke about me uh, not writing a chapter in the last like two or three weeks. And I said, listen, bud, it comes as it comes. I, who am I to rush, rush a masterpiece? I was joking, but I was also being truthful. Like you don't want to just, again, I'll go, I'll go back to my opening statement. There is no such thing as writer's block. Um, what I will say as an author is there are distractions. There are fuckets, and <laughs> there are better things to do and better places to be. Right. Those are your biggest problems that will get in your way. And the second one, the fuckets, it's, is the one that always gets me. You just look at the computer and you go, or I could play Assassin's Creed and I'm going to fire up the PlayStation. And that's where I am for the night because I don't feel like, I don't feel like braining right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like having to conjure up this, this story, but we were talking about uh, one of the things that I have in the shoots, which is a story about a vampire and I literally just sat down and just hammered out basically the beginnings of either the prologue or chapter one. I don't know where it's going to fit. I just started making words happen, and it's pretty impressive. I looked back at it, and I was like, oh, this isn't full of crap. I like it. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an interesting process. If you, if you try to make it happen, everything creatively, whether it's music, whether it's painting, whether it's writing, carving something, Bob Ross it. You, Bob Ross had this no forcing, this man made a painting every day for his show. He would show up and come up with something distinctly different from the last one for what, eight, nine, 10 years plus for a show. And this guy was cranking them out at no point in time did he just sit there and stare at the canvas and go, you know what? I, I don't have the faintest idea of what I should paint. Right. No, that man just said, well, what we should do, let's think of a happy day. And let's just start doing that. And he would just paint something and it wouldn't look good. And he'd just go, well, that looks a little mediocre. So let's go ahead and put a happy mountain over here. That's what it is with writing. It's like, I got an idea. Uh, I want to write a robot takeover story. Well, that's it. There's your creative moment. I don't have a story. I just have an idea for a story. Right. And that's where it all comes from. I want to write a story about a vampire. Okay, cool. Now, how do I make a story about a vampire is the next part. But... Open up your phone, throw it in the notes or something, shoot yourself a text message, an email, Google Docs or whatever. Yeah,
0: I would attribute writer's block to either not having an idea or not having a plan. Like I'm not one of those people that can just sit at the computer and it just like pours out of that me. That is me. I, um, I kind of tried that approach with book one, but I found that I could actually write more and save myself more time if I actually – Okay, this is the chapter. What's going to happen? This is scene one, two, and three. How are we going to move these characters through it? Okay, there's my plan. I wasn't really a plan guy, but then I got like a dry erase board and became a plan guy. <laughs> and I was able to actually write a hell of a lot more in the space of time that I would give myself. I'd be like, okay, here's your hour and a half, two hours of time, because then your brain's going to be crap, and your writing's going to turn to crap.
1: And it's it's there's a lot of other factors, too, because I can't write in it. Like, right here in this basement, right here where you're recording— great for recording yeah it's quiet it's peaceful i can't write here i would not be able to fire
0: up the laptop you know it's weird i can't write down here either it's do you too see all quiet. the stuff i have to do it upstairs in this computer room where the sun's coming in and for whatever reason there's just like i have a better connection up there
1: it's it, it, it it's great it's a bar it's perfect there's all this cool like music memorabilia there's all this awesome stuff down here right but it's such a cold environment For writing, there's nothing to really like pivot off of. Right. I mean, I'm looking around the room and I'm like, there's a mirror, there's some speakers, there's some guitars. Unless you're writing like a
0: rock autobiography. Yeah.
1: Unless you're writing like your story, but there's nothing here that really just, there's nothing I can draw from. Where I do my best is in public with all the talk, all the noise, all the people. That's interesting.
0: So So you're the guy at
1: Starbucks, it's like, You'd feel comfortable. I'm working there. on my manuscript. Yeah. Um well, I can see that kind of actually. So you said FUBAR is kind of conversational. It is. Ta-da. Yeah. The conversational comes from me hearing all these conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to dialogue. You listen to people, how they interact. You listen to their stories, but you're not listening to them.
0: And you have visuals, too. So if you want to write, I guess, a character into the book and you see this old guy in the corner, you're like, okay, that's what he's wearing. He's wearing a tweed jacket in a...
1: A yeah. tweed jacket. He's got a half-disheveled mustache. And for
0: whatever reason, he's got a monocle.
1: Mr. Monopoly is here at the Burger <laughs> King. <laughs> yes, he is. If it's not working for you, do something different. It's like sitting there with a, with an acoustic guitar trying to write the, the next, you know, the Beatles hit. Right. Um, you can't. I mean, the Beatles traveled the world to find inspiration. Those guys went all over the place to come up with the next album. Yeah. Um, so get out of your house, go for a walk. And and like I said, you know, the inspiration comes when it comes. So it goes back to just get your environment right. If it ain't working, work it somehow else. I do a lot of my best work in public. Um, When it came to serial killer, I wrote this inside of a Chick-fil-A. I'm not kidding. Like I'm sitting there. That is a good and a bad thing because they will bring you the drinks they will refill you. You need a soda, hon. Oh Man, yeah. my bladder was like a hundred pounds, and I was like, I believe just that coursing
0: is coursing with caffeine.
1: I am sitting there on like chapter fifteen by that point, and I'm just like, I am going. I I can see my pee at this point. I need to go, and that would be me stopping writing. I'm not. I'm. I then that also prevents you from getting to that like. Where it just kind of piddles out, and you're just putting words just for the sake of words. Yeah, you're going for word count, not actual quality. And that's the other thing too. I, I mean, we've we did that drinks with authors, and we had a lot of conversations. And I think one of the biggest things was, do not shoot for a word count.
0: Mm-hmm. Let
1: the book happen. Right. You can do it in post. <laughs> to make a make a movie or a music joke, you know, you can do it in post. You can add that stuff later. Right. If your goal was to be at seventy thousand. And you peter at it like 55. Then it's done. Sounds like that's the book. Because what are you going to do? You're going to add, what, 20,000 words of, well, here for there too. He does decide to possibly ponder. And you're just going to talk in a circle about how the guy decided to go to the bar that night.
0: Yeah, you get like a paragraph that's the same sentence four different ways.
1: The only time you have to add words and take out contractions is for a school paper in high school. That's the last time that you'll ever, or maybe in college, but that's the last time you'll ever have to do that. You'll never have to be like, all right, I got to hit 500 words for the professor to leave me alone.
0: So the summary (laughs) here is wait for when the time is right. The inspiration will come, but when it comes, be ready
1: for it and sit down and do it. And Google Docs is your friend. I typed out the entire intro of the first Bar in Google Docs on my phone at 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. When it hits, it hits. By the time you get to the notepad or the computer and Windows boots up and the 15 system updates hit you and and the Wi-Fi wants to connect and everything else, you're like, oh, hell, what was that about now? But if you can roll over and you're half asleep stupor and thumb out some semblance of this idea that makes sense to you in the morning, take it take it. That's the thing about being a writer or a painter. You know, if a painter has an inspirational moment and they want to just like hop on the canvas, they just start popping open paint jars and go for it. You got to do the same thing. And we have a lot of advantages. Yeah. Um. It's just words. Stick it in like notepad, text messenger, something, something that can save it and keep your, keep your cliff notes ready and, you know, check it out in the morning. That's how Fubar came to be. I wrote it off of a paragraph of this cool little statement, which ended up being the prologue, Um, and then that's where it went from. So don't let weird like 3 a.m. inspirational moments just go, oh, that would be a cool idea. I lost one the other day. I was like, oh, dude, that'd be a cool idea. And I was like, I'll remember that in the morning. I couldn't tell you what it was, but it was a great idea. It's fantastic. Probably a game-changing novel that would uh, probably be like a New York Times bestseller forever. 16 Netflix series based off of it. All of that.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> it's not the 90s anymore. Technology is your friend. You can write that book. You can go through Kindle Direct Publishing. You can put the book out there. I would say just just do it. Allow yourself to do it, and uh, there's no there's no magic formula. You got to do the work. You got to format yep. it. You know all that. Harry, thank you for coming onto the Mouthful of Graffiti Podcast. We could literally talk forever. I say that on every episode, but like literally, you and I could probably
1: talk for a very. We, long we time. have uh, we are two individuals that have a hell of a past. Yes. that have done done everything, Rich seen it all. Yeah, we've done it all. We've seen it all, and there's still more to come. I
0: kind of feel like we're in a really great zone for writing because the perspective is just getting better and better and better
1: exactly yeah
0: all right well thanks for coming on the show
1: hey no problem man